Good morning. We're on page 980 this morning. 980. And it's uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we're beginning at verse 47. And we're reading to the end of the chapter. And uh, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, it's Jesus who's speaking as we begin. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stay standing. Those words again. I was blinded by my sin. I had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love within. Had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life. Opened up your word to me. Father, those words we've sung are incredibly profound. And a great truth. And we pray, Father, that that same work your spirit did in us. To open our eyes to see your word. For the first time, he would do again this morning. Please, Father, would you change our hearts by your spirit, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. And um, you'll see on the back of your handouts, we have uh, an outline of where we're going to go this morning. And uh, if you've closed the passage, please do reopen it. It's on page 980. I've done that myself, so I'm just going to find it. 980. I'm afraid I've got a touch of the Theresa May this morning, so um, my voice is okay at the moment, but um, it might fade as we go through. There's nothing wrong with me other than that, but uh, please bear with me. Have you ever wondered why it is we have a sermon? Why do you get someone like me uh, stand up front and speak for 25 minutes, admittedly sometimes a little longer? Why do we do it? 
I mean, you might answer and say, well, it's because we're learning from the Bible. I mean, the preacher's done some work on the text in the week, and it's their job to teach so that we learn. But that just raises the next question, why is it that we learn? I mean, why come to church each Sunday? Why go to midweek groups to learn? You might say, well, it's because I want to understand more. I want to learn more about God. But I I still want to ask why. Why learn more about God? I mean, what's the big aim with it all? What's the preaching for? What's the learning about? What's it all for? Our passage today gives us uh, an interesting answer to that question. See, the passage comes at the end of a long section where Jesus' disciples have been learning. And at the end of this chapter, we're going to see this morning that Jesus shows his disciples what it is they're to do with that learning. Now, Jesus is a fan of teaching, and he spends lots of his ministry doing it, but he wants us to see this morning that we're to do something with that teaching. That learning has a purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Well, it starts by understanding three things, and um, the three things you've got on your handouts. First of all, it starts with understanding the times, that judgment is not now. Secondly, the task that we're to be sharing the kingdom. And thirdly, the trial, that rejection is inevitable. First of all then, in verses 47 to 50, Jesus starts by telling us the time. He says in verse 47, have a look, it's on page 980, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I've never been there, but I'm told, gets very deep very quickly, and so it's not the sort of place you want to go for a swim. But it is great for fishing. Uh, One person can stand on the shore, apparently, another one can go in a boat, and between them, they can let down a large net, and it covers a large area. You'll have to ask Clive later. He's been to Galilee, and I'm sure he knows more about it than I do. But I'm also told that the Sea of Galilee contains 20 or so species of fish. And so all sorts of fish gets picked up in that net. And so you, can, you get the imagery, don't you, that the fishermen have to pull the net to the shore and then they sort through what's in the net. The good fish go into the baskets, the bad fish get thrown away. Now what's the point of all this? Well, it comes in verse 49. Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, just as the fisherman sorts the good fish from the bad, so it will be at the end of the age when Jesus sends out his angels and they will sort through every single person who has ever lived. Now Jesus uses some strong imagery, doesn't he, here? to describe this future. And I guess for lots of us, me included, we kind of wince at such a description. Or perhaps we're tempted to kind of write it off as uh, naive to believe anymore. But Jesus taught that justice will always be done. See, like any good judge, or anyone hurt by any sort of injustice, Jesus (coughs) desires that evil is accounted for. 
I'm afraid that is all I'm going to say on that, because uh, two weeks ago, Clive spoke about this verse. And uh, if that is something we find difficult or we um, want to think more about, please do download that talk, because Clive gave um, an explanation of what it meant. But for us, I want us to see, not so much the future, but I want us to see the emphasis of this parable. It's not so much on the destination to come, but on the journey now. Now, Notice in verse 47, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like. So not will be like, or not one day become like this, but is like this now. See, Jesus is saying that the kingdom now is like letting down the net that's picking up all sorts of fish. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to see uh, in the next part that uh, the disciples' job is to take this message to the, the, the message of the kingdom to all nations. In other words, the disciples are doing that job of letting down the net across the whole world. And Jesus wants them to see, before he tells them that, that this work is going to be messy. You're going to be picking up all sorts of fish. There'll be all sorts of responses by all sorts of weird and wonderful people. See, as you let down the net, Jesus says, some fish will look good on the outside, but some of them will be rotten on the inside. And some fish will look bad, but actually they'll turn out to be good. And some fish will look insignificant, like an anchovy or something, but they're really actually valuable. They're really a a huge cod. You get the imagery. But the point is, that job is to come in the future. Your job now, disciples, is to let down the the net. See, there will be a sorting out in the future, but don't worry about that. Your job is to be picking up all sorts. I don't know if you're a a messy desk or a tidy desk type of person. I'm not going to comment on the types of the desks of other staff members, certainly not the rector, but um, I am... I am admittedly a tidy desk type of guy because I'm a tidy guy, a tidy life type of guy. I like order. I like to know what I'm doing. I don't deal very well with chaos. Let me tell you, it has been lots of fun having two young children. (laughs) And it's very easy for someone like me or perhaps someone like you to want a kind of tidy mission, to think, I want to see clear division now. I want to see that line between who's in and who's out. And many people throughout history have made that same mistake. They've wanted to create the tidiness now by seeking a pure church or a Christian nation or a religious cult that says, we're in, everyone else outside has got it wrong. And do you know what that desire for tidiness does? It kills mission. So you'll never let down the net, will you, if you're constantly worried about what you might pick up. I mean, you'll never proclaim the gospel indiscriminately if you're constantly trying to discriminate by working out who's in and who's out. I mean, imagine if you shared the gospel, but you only did it with those people you thought were likely to respond well, or those you can kind of picture as a Christian. It's not too much of a jump or those who you feel aren't too antagonistic. What's the problem with that? Well, Jesus says you're preempting the division to come. See, Jesus says, look, there will be a division. There will be a terrifying future. 
But it's not now. Your job now is to be letting down the net. So if we're not sorting out the fish, what is it we're meant to be doing? Well, we see this in the second point, and this is where I want us to spend a bit more time on, in verses 51 to 52. See, here we see that Jesus gives us a task to do. Now, what is that task? Well, look at verse 52. He says this, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, Jesus' choice of words here is absolutely fascinating. Look at the job he describes. He speaks about a teacher of the law. Now, in fact, in the original, the word is scribe. Um, Why is that significant? Well, uh, the scribes, as you might know, were responsible for copying out the scriptures. See, they knew the scriptures more than anyone else. They were copying it day in and day out. They were like a kind of ancient photocopier. And remember that everyday people were illiterate. So if you kind of wanted to learn about God, if you wanted to know what God was like, you would go to the scribes. It's a bit like going to a mechanic. No one really understands what happens under that bonnet, uh, but mechanics seem to do it, and uh, they understand. And it's similar with the scribes. They knew about God. They were the kind of gatekeepers to the knowledge of God. If you wanted to learn about the kingdom of God in the ancient world, they would teach you. But notice, here's the crucial thing, notice who the scribes are that Jesus speaks of. Who are the teachers of the law? Well, it's those instructed about the kingdom of heaven. And who are they? Well, it's every one of Jesus' followers. See, Jesus has been instructing his disciples about the kingdom of heaven, but now he wants them to see that that was never an end in itself. Jesus was training them to be scribes, people who would teach that kingdom to others. Now, Jesus spells that out in verse 52. He says you're to be like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this culture... Um, the owner of a house wasn't just the person who um, paid the mortgage or kind of had their name on the title deeds. The owner meant the person who had the responsibility over the household. The one who made it their first priority above anything else to feed the hungry mouths around their dinner table. We're um, really grateful for our curate's house. Um, thanks very much for it. It's, um, it's the first house we've been in with a walk-in larder, and so we got very excited about that. But um, we quickly realised after moving in that with two young toddlers around, that larder door needed to be locked firmly shut. And so if my children want to eat, if they're kind of jumping up and down for a biscuit like the world is going to end, it falls on me or mum to walk into the larder and to bring out a packet of digestives so that they can live at least until the next meal. We don't just feed them digestives, by the way. (laughs) And Jesus says, look, that is your job as scribes. See, the disciples have been with Jesus for 13 chapters. He's been training them day in, day out about the kingdom of heaven. But the disciples aren't just to kind of hoard that information to themselves. They're not to lock the larder. They're to be empty in the storeroom, sharing this kingdom with others. 
And do you know what? St. Mary's, we have been with Jesus for 13 chapters. All this time, we have been learning. And we have been learning with a purpose. We are scribes. We're the ones who now teach about the kingdom of God to others. We're to be like the good house owner, bringing out the treasure. I mean, who else is going to do it in our world, if not the church? Who else is going to do it in our town? Now, I I realise that in our individualised culture, it's very easy to have a kind of individualised view of faith, isn't it? And to almost see church like a school or university, somewhere I drop in and I learn more and I get built up. And of course, learning is a priority of St. Mary's, and I thank God for it, that, that it is. But it's never an end in itself. We're to be scribes. Two weeks ago, I was listening to news, you may have heard it, that um, now it seems that three people have been cured of AIDS through some groundbreaking treatment. It's incredible news if it works out. But what would the scientists do with that news, that new understanding? They will teach others. Of course they will. I mean, so many people can be saved as a result of this treatment. Well, we have even greater news, that God's kingdom has entered our world. And through the person of Jesus Christ, anyone can enter it, no matter what might disqualify them. Is it any surprise that with news like that, that Jesus makes us scribes to be bringing out this treasure. You may say, look, I, okay, I, I get that, but I don't really feel like a scribe. I mean, I'm not very gifted. I leave it for people who are better at it. But notice Jesus' question in verse 51. He says to his disciples, do you understand? And they say, yes. And I love that because that's essentially Jesus' job interview. For a scribe, it's one question, do you get this? And if you say yes, you've got the job. See, if you're a Christian, if you understand the gospel, Jesus has counted you suitable to share it. But you say, I'm not very articulate. I mean, I can't give answers to people's questions. They're quite complicated. But it's important to see that being a scribe isn't being Billy Graham. See, Don Carson makes a helpful point here in his commentary. He says that phrase to bring out of the storeroom in verse 52 is given elsewhere in Matthew of a way of describing the heart. And so being the house owner isn't about giving a big evangelistic talk or kind of defending the doctrine of the cross against an opponent. It's about letting your faith come out of your heart, letting things bubble to the surface sharing with people how Jesus' kingdom makes sense of life, why it's an essential part of who you are. There's all sorts of ways to do that, isn't there? In the children's groups, around the tables at lunch club, uh, at home with the children. See, if you're a Christian and you don't actively hide it, there will be all sorts of opportunities for that treasure to come out of the storeroom. You'll be speaking with friends or catching up with colleagues about the weekend, and there'll be the opportunity, won't there, to share why Jesus affects your life. When I was younger, we used to go on holiday with a family to um, uh, France, I think it was. Yes, France. And um, I wasn't a Christian at the time, 
And uh, that family we went with were Christian. And there were never any kind of big speeches from them, or they never kind of hounded me with their faith. But there was always that general sense that Jesus was important to them. I mean, they were like us. They were normal in lots of ways, if I can count as normal. But um, you've got that sense that Jesus made them who they were. Occasionally, it would bubble to the surface. They'd be talking about the weekend, and they'd mention they went to church, or they'd be talking about a big decision in their life and talk about Jesus. They'd be bringing him out of the storeroom. And do you know what? I never forgot that. The witness of that family was one of the main reasons I was attracted to Jesus. But perhaps we're here this morning and we're thinking, yes, but you don't know the reaction I'll get. You don't know my home life. You don't know what this would mean for me at work. Why would I want to do this? Well, thirdly, in our final point, in verses 53 to 58, Jesus shows us that it will be a trial, but that he asks us to walk a path that he has walked himself first. Now, when I was looking at um, verse 53 onwards, I was struggling to see the connection. I almost wanted to make this two talks. But uh, then, thankfully, God showed me verse 54. Uh, do you see what Jesus does in verse 54? Coming to his hometown, he began teaching people in their synagogue. And I thought, there's a connection, isn't it? Notice what Jesus is doing. He's teaching in the synagogue. In other words, he's just told his disciples, you're to be scribes, bringing out this news of the kingdom. And now Jesus is doing the job himself. But notice the reception he gets in verse 54. They say, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him, verse 57. Now, why are they asking these questions? Uh, Well, they, they can't understand how a local boy with a peasant upbringing could do and teach as he was. I mean, after, after all, they knew his family, and his family were pretty ordinary. So who does this guy think he is, coming and doing all these things? It's the classic local boy done good attitude, and they reject him because of it. And Matthew, I think, includes this section here to show us that we're not surprised when we get the same reaction. Jesus has already said in chapter 10, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, of the devil, how much more the members of his household. So if you're to do the work of the scribe, if you're to be the good householder bringing out the treasure out of the storeroom, it will mean rejection. See, even Jesus, it's amazing this, isn't it? With his wisdom, even Jesus with the gentleness of his words was unable to turn everyone into good fish. But there's even more here. I don't know about you, but sometimes um, you read these passages where Jesus is rejected, and they kind of all blur into one. You kind of read them through the gospel, and you think, okay, Jesus is doing some teaching. The people kick off. Okay, standard response. But this one is different. Notice where it's taking place uh, in verse 54. 
It's in his hometown. Now, a couple of years ago, I went back to um, my hometown. I um, went back to my childhood house in southeast London. And um, I stopped. Uh, I went for a little drive, and I stopped on the street, and I went to look at my old house. Uh, I don't know what the people inside thought I was doing, but um, I had a peer in. You know, I drove around the corner to my local primary school. I saw the local corner shop and remembered that. And as I did, this kind of wave of nostalgia swept over me. You know, you've done this probably, I'm sure, as well. You know, those warm memories come back. You feel like your kind of life is connected to your hometown, don't you? The streets, the people, they're all part of you. And in this culture, that feeling was even more heightened. Your hometown was the place where generations had come from. I mean, everyone would know you. It's a place where you could feel truly yourself, truly at home in every sense of the word. Imagine what Jesus was feeling as he walked to his hometown. You can imagine, can't you, Jesus getting excited. Perhaps on the road he's thinking through all the faces he's going to see as he arrives. Laughing to himself about the memories he's going to share with his old friends about what they used to get up to. I mean, it hurt Jesus, of course, to be rejected anywhere. But you expect this one to have hurt the most, to be rejected by his own people. And what's remarkable here is it would have been so easy for Jesus to to kind of ease off the teaching, to keep his mouth shut, to enjoy the comfort of being home. But he doesn't. He knows that for his kingdom to come, he will have to face the rejection of his own people. And Jesus' commitment to share the kingdom in his hometown is an echo of what he does in Jerusalem. See, in a couple of chapters' time, Jesus is going to face a similar choice. He's going to come to the capital of his own people. And there will be this temptation to keep his mouth shut, like his disciples do, and choose the warm embrace of his people rather than the anguish of a cross. But Jesus knows that for his kingdom to come, it means the rejection of his own people. And Jesus proclaims that kingdom, even though it brings his own death sentence. But through his rejection comes our acceptance into his kingdom. Because Jesus chose to do his Father's will, not enjoy his own comfort, we can be welcomed into his kingdom. See, I asked the question, you may ask it as well, where do I find the motivation to be the scribe, bringing out the treasure out of the storeroom, when the, the cost feels too great? And I get that. Our culture has shifted, and it does feel hostile out there. Well, we look to him, We look to him who endured a far greater cost to share his kingdom with us. As we close, I was speaking to someone um, a couple of months ago who grew up in an Indian Christian family. And uh, his family came from a Christian community started nearly 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Thomas came to India. Remember the one who doubted Jesus? I mean, it's a a remarkable story. It seems that Thomas just took a a one-way trip to India. He left his own people, and he went to the edge of the known world. I mean, imagine that in this world at this time, what that must have meant for him. 
And I just thought to myself, here I am, speaking to a Christian, 2,000 years later, who has come into Jesus' kingdom because one of Jesus' disciples, remember the one who was doubting it, one of Jesus' disciples saw themselves as a scribe, saw themselves as to be bringing out the treasures out of the storeroom. Someone who left the comfort of their own home and their own people to take the treasure to an unknown culture. We've been told the times. Judgment's not now. The net is being cast. We've been given a task. We're to be scribes bringing out the treasure. And we should expect a trial as we walk in our Lord's steps. Let's pray. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that others have chosen to do that with us so that we can be brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, for your help, your Spirit's comfort, your Spirit's enabling as we seek to do that task ourselves as a church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.